sqpn.com presents The Secrets of Angels and Demons. Hi, I'm Father Roderick, coming to you from the busy but beautiful city of Rome. I am on my way to the cinema theater close to Central Station here in the heart of Rome. And I'm about to see the premiere of the movie Angels and Demons, based on the book by Dan Brown. In this series, I will go over the events of the movie and also the book. And why not, since I'm here in Rome, we can go and visit the locations that feature heavily in this book and in this movie. Most of the story takes place here in Rome. And we will discover, hopefully, what is truth, what is fiction, and what is in between in the story by Dan Brown. As you know, Angels and Demons is based on a novel that Dan Brown wrote before his world-famous novel, um, The Da Vinci Code, and is now made it turn into a, a feature movie after the success, well, the moderate success, I should say, of the Da Vinci Code movie, based upon the bestseller, The Da Vinci Code. The movie didn't do as well as many people hoped it would. Of course, uh, it was, in theory, an almost guaranteed success, seeing the, the huge sales of the book itself. However, the movie wasn't received um, very well. There were, uh, there were all, uh, lots of uh, critics that said that the acting was a little bit stiff. Tom Hanks didn't do a, a good job. Um, the story itself seemed a little bit contrived and was less convincing than the novel itself. And of course, um, there was a huge controversy surrounding the movie of The Da Vinci Code, much more than the book. And uh, undoubtedly you have seen some of those discussions either on TV or in newspapers, magazines, on the radio. The premise, of course, of uh, The Da Vinci Code was that the Vatican had kept a, a secret for ages and ages, and that is that uh, Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene and um, had even offspring, children, and a family that uh, is still that still exists in uh, up to uh, modern days and uh, the whole book revolved around this plot of trying to keep this secret and at the same time um, the famous uh, Da Vinci would have hidden all sorts of codes all sorts of messages secret messages in his paintings indicating that um, the truth behind the story of Jesus was very different from what tradition wanted you to believe. Now the controversy of course was about the way in which Dan Brown presented his, uh, his book and also the way the uh, publicity machine surrounding the movie uh, presented the, the, the story facts, uh, claiming that it was all based on historical evidence and also claiming that everything in the book and in the story was actually true and undeniable and that any criticism of the movie and of the book uh, would be just part of this global cover-up by the Catholic Church of this uh, century-old secret that would destroy the foundation of the Catholic faith. 
Now, of course, that controversy has settled down and, um, you know, all the historians agree that uh, even though Dan Brown claimed that his book, that his story was based on facts, actually he made up a lot of the story elements and he mixed them in with real facts and with half-truths. And that made it very confusing for a lot of people. But at the same time, I think that the general public is now well aware that, um, you know, the whole theory behind the Da Vinci Code um, is actually not based on 100% on, uh, fact. However, the controversy had a very uh, interesting upside for the Catholic Church and for the organization Opus Dei that was also depicted in a certain way in the story, in the book and in the movie. Um, it, gave them, uh, it gave the church, it gave uh, Opus Dei an occasion to actually um, tell their side of the story and to also explain the, the reality um, of you know, the, the history of Jesus Christ, uh, the stories about uh, Mary Magdalene, and, you know, try to give a little bit more of a historical uh, foundation um, to the convictions of the Catholic Church and the tradition, uh, and to make it very clear that the whole premise of conspiracy theory, of this, this global cover-up by the Catholic Church, could absolutely not be true. However, there's still, a, a, you know, a, a considerable group of people that um, might not have heard those explanations and still retain that, you know, suspicion or skepticism towards the, the Catholic Church. And um, as, a, as a priest, I, of course, uh, uh, encounter a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, and uh, the question that, that a lot of people ask oftentimes is, well, what about this Constantine? And yes, of course, well, the movie wasn't historically accurate, but there's still this lingering doubt. And I think that is why uh, the Catholic Church uh, uh, reacted um, uh, with a lot of energy um, when this movie came out and also to, to when around the, the success of the, the book The Da Vinci Code. Now, of course, none of this controversy surrounded the appearance of the first novel, Angels and Demons, that precedes the story of the Da Vinci Code. When it was published, I think around the year 2000, um, it got a very lukewarm reaction by the general public. It was actually not considered to be a bestseller at all. And it's only after the huge success of the Da Vinci Code and also helped by the controversy surrounding that story that actually people started reading uh, Angels and Demons. So the story itself uh, is a prequel to the events in the Da Vinci Code and so uh, tells the, the, the first part of the story actually of this symbologist and uh, played by, uh, by Tom Hanks in the movie. Um, however, for you know, the sake of storytelling um, in, uh, in the world of Hollywood, they actually changed the story a little bit. So in the movie, the story is presented as a sequel to the events in The Da Vinci Code. I'm not sure how that will um, rework the story, uh, but we're about to, uh, to find out. Um, so I'm standing here near Warner Village Cinemas. This is a big theater uh, near Central Station. It's one of the only, only theaters here in Rome where you can see uh, movies, American blockbusters, in their original language. Most of the movies here in Italy are dubbed in Italian, but uh, not this one. And so I will be able to, to uh, see the original. Of course, uh, I will, won't be able to record in the theater itself, but afterwards I will give you my first impressions about 
the, the movie Angels and Demons. Let me add to this that in the following um, programs of this series, I will try to visit some of the locations that we see in the movie that uh, feature in the story Angels and Demons and try to figure out you know, what is fact, what is fiction, and what lies in between and try to untangle a little bit uh, the story and its historical basis or the absence thereof uh, of the, this uh, novel by Dan Brown. I haven't read the book even though I first heard about this book when I was still studying in Rome. I have studied for two years here in the Eternal City from 2001 till 2003 and the first time I heard about this novel was actually in a, an Irish pub and uh, the owner of the pub, this lady, had just read the book and was raving about it, especially, she said, uh, it was so interesting to read this story because you know, as a, you know, living here in Rome, you know all these places, you know the, uh, the, the art that he's talking about. And so it creates a very vivid um, picture inside your mind. So I'm, I'm very curious, as, as I told you, I, I have lived here for two years. Um, I have also been here during the papal election of Benedict XVI and the death of uh, John Paul II, which is an event that uh, uh, was al already featured in the trailer and is also uh, an important plot point of the movie itself. And so um, with a little bit of background knowledge about how things are organized and work inside the Vatican, I hope to give you a little bit of an inside view um, of uh, uh, you know, what is really happening uh, when it comes to the election of the Pope and perhaps we can also um, discover a little bit about this uh, the whole dimension of art and Bernini in this story. Uh, we'll see how far we, we can get um, and you know I will be discovering the historical background uh, of the events of the the themes uh, in the novel as we go. So for now I'm going to head into the theater watch the movie and after the movie as I promised you I will get back with my first impressions of angels and demons see you later thousands are gathered in St. Peter's Square the new Pope has yet to be selected we are under attack from an old enemy find Professor London he exposed one of the greatest cover-ups in human history. Da Vinci. But what terrifying discovery would make the Vatican turn to him? That's Illuminati. The Illuminati were a secret society dedicated to scientific truth. The Catholic Church ordered a brutal massacre to silence them forever. They've come for their revenge. trail through Rome itself. I need access to the Vatican archives. Access to the archives is only by written decree by the Holy Father. Fellas, you called me. This is the first sign. What sort of sign? Earth, air, fire, water. And the fifth sign. May God forgive you for what you've done. Father of God has issues. They won't be with what we've done. They'll be with what we're about to do. Our church is at war. Hey! This is the first marker. The path is alive. You're talking about the moment of creation. Open the doors and tell the world the truth.
truth. Angels and demons. And I'm outside again after having seen Angels and Demons during its premiere here in Rome. And as promised, of course, I will give you my first impressions of the movie. I took some notes after uh, having seen the movie and I will give you my first uh, general overview of what I thought in terms of the story, in terms of the way the movie was done from a technical point of view, a storytelling point of view. And I will tell you what I liked and I tell you what I didn't like that much. Um, first of all, let me say this was a much better movie than the first one based on The Da Vinci Code. Um, what I liked about the way the story was told was this idea of a, of a ticking time bomb in a way, almost literally, because there is this anti-matter bomb that is hidden somewhere near the Vatican or inside the Vatican, we don't know at the beginning of the movie. And um, in the way the story is told, um, they use the same device that you see in the television series 24, where they have exactly 24 hours to solve the mystery that's going on and try to save the world. And that is exactly what uh, Robert Langdon, the main character in uh, both the stories of the Da Vinci Code and now Angels and Demons, is trying to do with uh, the aid of uh, an assistant, uh, very similar to the uh, Audrey Tattoo character in, um, in the Da Vinci Code. Um, and there are uh, lots of other similarities between the Da Vinci Code story and the Angels and Demons story. You can actually see, if you, if you realize that Angels and Demons was written long before the Da Vinci Code, you can see this story of Angels and Demons almost like, um, like an exercise, uh, like almost a preparation for the Da Vinci Code movie because the story follows um, the, the, the same development in, in many ways. Um, so this device, this storytelling device of, of using this ticking clock and this race against time to try to solve the, the mystery is, is well done and it, it gives the, the story much more energy um, than uh, the Da Vinci Code movie had. And I think also the, the editing of the movie was better. It, was, it, it just had more speed, it kept you more entertained. Um, what I also liked uh, about the story, and, and this is of course not just a movie, but this is also in the book, um, is the, um, the twist, the plot twist towards the end. Um, at one point you think that the movie is over, that everything has been solved, the world has been saved, and then lo and behold there is this final revelation that things are not the way they seem. Um, a surprise ending, although I have to say you really see it coming, as I said before, uh, going to uh, to see the movie. I hadn't read the book. I, I think I've only read a few chapters, uh, well, I don't know, two, two three years ago. Um, but uh, so even though I didn't know what the ending would be, you could still see it coming. There, there was a, it was a little bit too, too obvious. However, um, I, I still like the way that they kind of twisted the whole story around. And um, uh, also in the way they edited the movie. I, I think for people that really didn't know the story, for some people it might have been a surprise. Um, so that was my overall impression. Uh, definitely a better movie than the Da Vinci Code movie, which I thought was at, at times really boring and long, uh, way too much exposition. And actually the, the revelation of the, you know, the mystery and the ultimate 
plot that Jesus was uh, basically having a family with, with Mary Magdalene and uh, was so implausible and and so ridiculous that actually, you know, it it, it was almost as if the movie destroyed the book, the success of the book, because uh, a lot of the controversy was about the, the book story and it, 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 the controversy um, uh, got, got bigger uh, just before the release of the movie, but once the Da Vinci Code movie came out, it, it was as if the visualization of the whole plot kind of made it obvious that this was made up and this was way too ridiculous to, to be true. And um, uh, in that respect, I think um, that this movie does a little bit of a better job. And um, uh, yeah, so definitely a, a more, it's more entertaining. It's also less, um, you know, the Da Vinci Code, the story of the Da Vinci Code really tried to attack the, the, the foundation of, of the Christian faith by going straight after, you know, the believability of the church um, in, in, in its testimony about Jesus Christ and who, who Jesus was and, uh, uh, and, and, and portraying the church as being this huge, evil, cover-up organization that has hidden the truth for centuries and is basically misleading the people um, with best intentions, but nevertheless, they are lying and they're misleading. So that was, I think, a very serious uh, attack uh, of the credibility of the church. At least it was perceived as such by uh, many Catholics and many Christians worldwide. That is, I think, why uh, people reacted with so much passion against that story. Uh, in this movie, there is still a certain critical uh, view of the church and, uh, and there is an underlying um, attitude, uh, which I will um, detail a little bit further uh, in a few minutes. But, um, but it's, it's not really attacking like core beliefs of the church. Um, and, and so the movie lends itself to less controversy. At least that's what I think. Um, now, let me go over the things that I liked and then I will talk briefly about the stuff that I thought was less, di didn't work that well or was just irritating. Um, but first of all, the, the, the plus side. Um, I was very impressed by the visuals of the movie. As I said, the editing is very well done. Um, the movie has a good pace. But the way, especially, that they portrayed Rome was very, very good. I mean, I am standing here, right here in the center of Rome. Um, uh, in front of me is this uh, big, beautiful fountain in the middle of this round square. Um, Rome is a beautiful city, especially uh, the way it looks right now at night. You know, every, the buildings are beautifully lit and the movie does a great job portraying how beautiful Rome is and, uh, and also does a, does a formidable job um, recreating a lot of the locations in Rome. And I say recreating because a lot of the locations that you will see in the movie are not real. They are uh, computer-generated effects. And um, the Vatican, um, of course, didn't allow <laughs> the uh, uh, Hollywood filmmakers to film inside um, St. Peter's uh, Square or, or uh, St. Peter's Basilica. Um, and uh, uh, I think that uh, the, the PR buzz surrounding the movie took advantage of, of that by playing it up and saying, well, see, the, the Vatican doesn't want us to make this movie. They, want the, they don't want the truth to be uncovered. And 
there you go, it's another proof that the Vatican is, uh, is covering up stuff and we cannot film and they don't want it. And oh, it's, it, they try to create uh, a little bit, bit of controversy surrounding the movie, but the reaction, of course, of the Vatican was quite, well, they never talked about the movie, I think, in an official way, but you know, everybody that you talk to, um, it was like, well, <laughs> first of all, um, no one can film movies inside uh, St. Peter's Basilica or on St. Peter's Square. That's just a general rule. So there is, <laughs> this is just, you know, it's something we say to any movie maker. Um, so it has nothing to do with the movie itself. And about the other churches where they couldn't film, that is not up to the Vatican. That is, <laughs> that is up to the local church of, of Italy because, of course, all the other churches... Um, in the story are in um, in Rome and Rome is not Vatican City so um, that is a decision of the of the of the local church and sometimes also of, of just a local the local community that that you know that that is responsible for that church and if you see the movie and you see the hor horrible you know just gruesome murders that take place in these churches then yeah of course they didn't want to allow them to film those brutal murders inside a, a holy place. I mean, that's obvious. But anyway, I think that um, they, they, uh, they spun that a little bit in order to try to create a little bit of a controversy, uh, hoping, of course, that that would help um, people, uh, you know, getting more intrigued by the movie. But I don't think that they managed to create the same buzz and the same controversy as they did uh, surrounding the Da Vinci Code. So with that in mind, you have to realize that the churches that you see on the inside, uh, the uh, the Pantheon, um, but also St. Peter's Square, uh, St. Peter's Basilica, it's all digital uh, work. It's, it's been digitally created. Um, they have rebuilt, of course, uh, sometimes parts of the building, uh, and then they use what they call digital set extension, which is a technique where you basically have a little bit of a backdrop and then the rest is all green screen and later on with computer graphics and tracking you you it, you superimpose a digital model of that church uh, or of that space uh, you know sometimes it's out in the open on St. Peter's Square um, and you recreate it digitally it's a technique that has um, has been developed over the the last well let's say 10 years and you can really see how how real they can make it. Uh, I mean, some of the images of the inside of, of St. Peter's Basilica, I mean, you can still tell a little bit that it's not the real thing, but it gets really uh, eerily close to, to the real thing. Um, so I thought that, you know, that this digital recreation, I think of about two-thirds of, of, of Rome that you see is actually digitally created. I think they did a, a tremendous... Uh, good job on that so uh, hats off to for the, the you know the, the digital effects company that did that then um, what I also uh, uh, well liked uh, what I thought was good was that they corrected a few of the errors uh, in the trailer I don't know if you've seen the trailer in cinema or on on the internet but uh, there's this it starts with this um, overview of st. Peter's Square and uh, you know it's during the conclave so you see the black smoke um, but that, the way they, they depicted the scene was, there were some errors. Um, of course, the statue that they show is not part of, of the Basilica at all. Um, but also they show um, these uh, view screens um, at the end of the, 
of the square, so you're looking from the Basilica towards the Via della Conciliazione, and then you see these big TV screens, which doesn't make sense because uh, people would be standing with their backs to those television screens. So, you know, there was a few, few errors that I immediately noticed since I've, you know, I've lived here for so long <laughs> that, uh, that I didn't see in the actual movie. So uh, some of the footage that you see in the trailer is not used in the movie itself. So, um, however, uh, there were many, many other errors, um, factual errors, uh, uh, also errors, uh, you know, when it comes to the way the Vatican uh, works um, that, that are still glaring in the, in the movie and, and very distra uh, distracting. Um, so, great visual effects. Um, also, about the acting in the first movie uh, about the Da Vinci Code, I really didn't like the character of Robert Langdon. Um, I didn't like the portrayal by um, Tom Hanks. I thought he was very boring, unsympathetic, a little bit stiff. Um, I think uh, that he did a much better job. Langdon's character is more sympathetic, uh, has more humor. And I also thought they did a pretty clever job uh, turning this movie into a sequel instead of the prequel that it actually is. Um, I, I thought they did that in a, in a clever way. It's, it's, uh, it's not very you know, emphasized, but um, it, it, with a little bit of humor. And, and they even re refer to the real controversy surrounding the Da Vinci Code book and movie um, and integrate that a little bit in the movie. I, I thought it was, it was just well done uh, without actually really um, uh, changing the storyline too much. Now, I also have the impression, but I am not sure, I should, I should read the, the book, I think, to, uh, to, uh, to be 100% sure about this, but I do believe that they actually mellowed down the story a little bit uh, and removed some of the more controversial um, aspects of the story uh, and I base this on, on uh, certain articles that I've read about the book uh, where the Camerlengo uh, I think in the book is portrayed as being the illeg illegitimate son of the, the, the Pope that has just died and um, uh, in, in the movie they downplay that and they present him more like an orphan um, who was brought up by this Archbishop and still you, you could you could kind of think that, you know, there, there might be something more to that relationship between the Camerlengo and, uh, and, and, and the Pope. But uh, I thought, I, I had the feeling that they kind of downplayed that in order not to anger um, uh, Catholics too much. And um, I think there were also some other plot points where they just, you know, were a little bit more mellow, more sympathetic towards towards Catholics. I, I don't know, it's just a feeling that I had during the movie. I think that um, Dan Brown is more, I don't know, he's, he's more critical, and less respectful in, in the way he writes, at least in the way he lets his characters talk about the church. Um, so anyway, I, we might go a little bit more in detail um, in, in future episodes of this podcast. And that's the end of the first half of my review of the movie Angels and Demons. In the next episode, I will talk about the weaker aspects of the movie and about what I didn't like. And after that, it's time for action. We will put on our walking shoes as we trace the footsteps of Robert Langdon and visit the actual locations of the story. From the Vatican to Piazza Navona to Castle San Angelo in our quest to uncover fact and fiction in Angels and Demons. 
You can find more information on the website of the StarQuest Production Network at sqpn.com. And if you like this series, you can help me spread the word about it by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time. And until then, take care and God bless. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.